Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Prehealth Podcast at Penn State. In this episode, we are going to tackle a topic in admissions for all of the health professions, and it's this idea of holistic review. And you may hear one of us using this term as we talk about what your candidacy will look like, and it might feel a bit nebulous a bit confusing about what that really means, how it will impact your interpretation as a future candidate. And that's the goal of this episode, is to sort of give you the peek behind the curtain of what holistic review is, how it came about, what it means for you, and how you can differently approach your application, knowing that this is something that many, many schools will do. I think this will be a helpful episode for pretty much everybody that is looking at a future in a pre-health track path. So buckle up for another episode of the Pre-Health Podcast at Penn State. Welcome back to the Pre-Health Podcast at Penn State, the show to help all pre-health students on their journeys to acceptance. My name is John Moses Bronson, and I am going to be your primary host today. But as is always my preference, I am joined today by my colleague, Kimberly Johnson. Hi, everybody. Just letting everybody know that it is still allergy season. We're still struggle busing. So if you hear sniffles and the like type of noises uh, that is just where we're at this time of year. It's just the leaves falling and everything dying, sitting on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) All that wonderful, wonderful histamines just attacking your system. It'll do Mm. all the stuff. Yeah. So this week we are talking about holistic review. And this is something that I really do bring up with a lot of my students. And it is a bit of a I think it can feel quite complicated, but I hope that this episode will sort of help to disentangle those complications and help students to understand that for many schools that utilize this practice, it is really an effort to see them as more complex than just a sheet of paper. I like to remind my advisees that it sounds complicated, mm-hmm. but it's really as straightforward as you are who you are. Mm-hmm. And none of us fit into a couple of checkboxes. Yeah. So I want to sort of like define what this is. And basically, it is just the process of saying like, yes, you have these grades, you have these scores, you've done these things, but there's more to you than just that. There is the life that you've lived, the places that you've come from, the people that have influenced you throughout your life. And we're going to take all of that into consideration, right? And so that's the base premise of what makes holistic review, holistic review. And this is a process that came about because not just medical schools, but all health professional schools were realizing that their cohorts were looking pretty homogenous. And we know that to serve all patients really well, that we need to have some reflection of the diversity and complexity of our patient populations reflected in who is serving them. And so that's why I I think personally, that this process has become so widespreadly, widespread and widely used. Um, and I think that that does matter, right? If we think about Temple University, they need to have a cohort that reflects the diversity of the patients that they serve because their whole mission as an institution is to serve the people of North Philadelphia, which is predominantly black and Latinx and 
those folks have generations of reasons not to trust healthcare providers, right? We've talked about that before on this podcast. And so it changes the relationship, though, when you're working with a provider who has lived a similar life to you, that has lived through some of the same life experiences, who is telling you things in a way that makes sense to you. So we know that, like, that experience of you coming from a similar location enriches the quality of care that's being provided. And so there's no quantitative measure that can help you understand a a person's life, right? And that's where holistic review really comes into play. If we look at admissions sort of like throughout history, right, kind of before the 1950s, it was really just, what are your grades? Great, let's get in, move out. It was in the 1950s that they started to incorporate this idea of character and integrity. But unfortunately, a lot of the application of that kind of had these really heavy-handed, white, patriarchal, Western connotations and associations with them. And so we sort of were still just in a very heavy-handed academic place. We also kind of had to give enough time for this process to evolve so that the folks sitting on the admissions committees mm-hmm. themselves had experienced some of this and gone mm-hmm. through a more holistic review themselves and were more representative mm-hmm of what they were looking for. Yeah, a lot of our information today is coming from an article that was written by some folks in admissions at medical schools specifically, but this does apply to all health professions. But um, they talked about how this was a really slow evolutionary process over time. And it wasn't just something that they did in admissions, it's also something that they did for the review of applications for faculty positions as well. So. It, it was all of these needles that all had to move all in their sort of same time frames, right? And so in the 1960s, right around when we were having discussions around civil rights, uh, specifically around race and ethnicity, that was the point in time where medical schools and other health professional programs began to consider race and ethnicity in the admissions process. Unfortunately, the consideration of those items didn't really deliver on the promise of diversity. So it was really just kind of a failure to deliver. And so we knew that 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 didn't work. And then in 1978, there was this really important court case and the Supreme Court's decision in the Regents of California versus Baki determined that holistic evaluation of applicants in considering their demographic characteristics, in addition to their academic metrics, is kind of what helps them to push the the ball forward on this. Now, this started in the late 70s, but we are still in a place where the promise of holistic review is sort of like failing to catch up with what true equity would look like, right? So we have all this really great stuff and these important court cases. And then in 2023, another really important Supreme Court decision came out, which overturned affirmative action and ended it. So we're in this space where that data point alone cannot be used to consider an applicant differently. And so one of the things that we do as advisors is we help students to reframe their life, their experiences, their challenges, and how those experiences can really benefit them and give them a really good, unique perspective to share that can be considered through holistic review. And we know that admissions officers are still going to be looking for these lived stories, these distances traveled. They're going to be looking for it in ways that they've never had to do that necessarily before. And so the importance of a a student articulating their journey and their reasons for wanting to go into medicine and how that intersects with who they are as a person in the life that they lead and have led is way more important than it's ever been. It's also a really collaborative process because 
when we work with our students to tell their stories a little more clearly, we're also counting on work being done on the admissions side Mm -hmm. to be able to consider these stories more deeply and understand what they're trying to say when they don't have those other metrics to go by. So it requires a lot of admissions Mm -hmm. in folks as well. There's a lot of training that goes on on their end Mm -hmm. so that they're up to this monumental task. Exactly. And for schools that, you know, I always think of Penn State in this regard, two people read every single application right? Uh, So it's not like one person's deciding your fate. There's always two perspectives. And there is one individual there who reads every single application that is received, regardless of what those metrics look like, regardless of anything else in that application, it gets read by at least one person. And that's like a good example of like what holistic review can do for somebody is that at least it's being read by multiple people, but it's the people themselves that have to be able to take what's there and make meaning from it. And what we do as advisors is we help you to make that easier for them to take meaning from, right? So what we're going to do next, and which this will sort of be the bulk of this episode, is that we're going to sort of walk through an application and talk about where holistic review may intersect with an application and what you might consider to put into those different sections. So Kimberly, the first section is background, Mm -hmm. which is like your biographical stuff, your family, schools that you attended. Usually there's a a small handful of like very straightforward essays. What are your thoughts on sort of how that section gets looked at? Well, this section allows less room to tell your story and show some nuance. Correct. This is where you're going to be most restricted. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say we're just giving the facts because, you know, all of these other things are facts too, right? Yeah. Lived experience is not something that we can argue with. Your experience is your experience. Yeah. But this is not a space where we have narrative space. This is where we're filling out straightforward usually information, (laughs) not always. Yeah. Like how many siblings do you have? Yeah. What is your address? Yeah. Uh, What schools have you attended? Yeah. But that can also tell a story too. That can say a lot if you're looking for it. Yes. And that's where we talk about the job of admissions officers Mm -hmm. is to be looking for that. Exactly. I think about too, this is also the section where students will talk about any misdemeanors or felonies or academic uh, actions at their schools. And there is some power there, but you're really sort of like fighting up an uphill hill. So we're always aiming to not have anything to add uh-huh. to that section. Yeah. But surprisingly, sometimes when you do have something to add to that section, mm-hmm. you can say a lot about yourself. Yes. And where you come from and what your values are now versus then. Yeah. Um it's actually a powerful section. Yeah. If you have something to put there and you've approached the aftermath yeah. appropriately. Yeah. We're not saying to like go out and break the law. Please don't. Um, but if that <laughs> is a part of your story, please don't think of it as something that like you can't meaningfully discuss or include. In the AMCAS application specifically, there is an essay in this section that does have a lot of power for every student. And that's, it was brand new this past year. And my understanding is that they have the intention to continue using it in future applications. And that's the other impactful experiences essay. That is, this is a really hard one. Mm -hmm. I think this is where I have students coming in with a lot of questions because it is open, open, open. Yes. It's very vague. It's very vague, and that's scary on an application. We Mm -hmm. want to know what expectations are, Mm -hmm. and this doesn't give any hint as to what expectations are. And I have students who are like, I don't have anything to put there. Mm -hmm. I think that's rarely the case. Yeah. We just need to really consider a little more deeply. Yeah. I think for some students, they're going to see a straightforward 
approach here. And I think other students may have to look a little bit deeper. I do want students to see this as an opportunity to provide necessary context to your background, your life, your experiences. Even for my majority students, I still think that there is very often something very powerful and meaningful that can be included in this section. It's about reframing your experience and looking at it from an outsider's perspective and what may not have fit our traditional norms that we think of as a country. And sometimes students have never considered their lives, especially our majority students, as anything other than just cookie cutter norms. Life doesn't allow us a lot of opportunities for that. We generally have to just keep going. Yeah. And... This is a chance for you to sort of consider more openly Mm -hmm. some of those things that have just been really hard for you. Yeah. But there hasn't been time to stop and consider why it was hard or what direction that challenge took you or formed you. Um, And and no one else sees this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of power here. And I want students to really think about this question in particular, because I think, you know, as we see what happens, this cycle in terms of what the makeup of the various cohorts of students that we see end up going to medical schools, I think that we're going to need to take a deep look at how this question was utilized by admissions officers, how students approached it, and where that lined up and where it didn't line up. It might be helpful to consider a few examples of what might go there yeah. if you are more, let's say, majority presenting. Sure. I'm thinking things like a parent's mental health challenge mm-hmm. or an unexpected move. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of my military children's students, yeah, and I know that there usually is a military like status question there's not really a lot of space to talk about the impact that I had on you because you know a lot of times that's a lot of moving it's a very it's very different culturally some of those students lived abroad despite being U.S. citizens and there's not like a really clean easy way to put that on your application I think of first generation college students for this one too I think of um, my students who had some really difficult family challenges. Like I know that you mentioned like, you know, um, that one example with parents, but I think of like a lot of students talk about the death of a loved one. I was say a loss of any sort. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have to be like that. Oh, my, my grandparent passed. Like yeah. a lot of people have lost friends too mm-hmm. in, in one way yes. or another. And at any point in life, that is very impactful. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to challenge people that think that this section is not for them. Because I 100% believe it's for everyone. You know, I'm even thinking about sort of politics. Mm-hmm. You might have had come from a family that had very strong beliefs. And then there was a political decision that sort of like shook somebody a little bit. Yeah. And that was very disconcerting for you yeah. or challenged you in new ways. Yeah. Or... I had another example. I just lost it. But there can just so nobody just lives lives their life without any mm-hmm. sort of challenge, and all of those challenges mm-hmm. re- usually result in some sort of growth and deeper understanding. Yeah. And if you're struggling to find something that might fit here, that's a wonderful opportunity to come in and talk with a pre-health advisor, right? Our job is to ask you good questions. If you've done a really good job of writing your autobiography, like we're probably going to take a really nice deep look there. There's tons of stuff to be mined for every student. And the impactful experience doesn't have to, by definition, be something negative that you had to overcome. Sometimes really positive experiences can be that way, right? Like if you are a slightly older student and perhaps you got married, right? What was the impact of that experience and having that occur to you? Like, you and, and your partner going through that, how has that impacted you, right? This isn't like a bonus work and activity. This isn't like, well, I had filled up the 15. Woo-woo, we're going to do a 16. Like it, it shouldn't be tied to a specific activity. It shouldn't be something that is clearly put in another box. And so that's, that is the primary challenge with that one in particular. So you mentioned something important that 
is not actually in the application, but that we ask of all of our students doing mm-hmm. a comprehensive review, and that is an autobiography. Yeah. And we have learned over time that an autobiography is a much more comfortable and familiar request, term, (laughs) phrase that our students can kind of run with a little more easily than we sit when we say, let's sit down and look at your personal statement. That there's expectations around what a personal statement is, whereas we have a general feel for for an autobiography. Yeah. And a lot of times those autobiographies, it's a series of prompts that you get to respond to, whereas the personal statement is like this vast, empty space that you are expected to fill. And the personal statement is where we get a lot of those nuanced details about your life that you just didn't have another place to put. Mm-hmm. And so then when we start to learn these things about you, then we can start to put together the pieces of how you got to where you are now and why it's so important for you to get to this next step. Mm-hmm. And and that's where we find that nuance that might go into this yeah. big open-ended question that we're referencing. Yeah, as we sort of like talk about personal statements, obviously there's like a ton of room there to tell your story. But also no room at all. Yes, it is this like great conundrum. (laughs) And the autobiography is such an effective use of time for you as a person to just look at. This is the complexity of the person that I'm trying to present to them. This application is the medium that I am using to express this, like if we think of it as an artistic expression, the application is the medium, you are the artist, but the autobiography is often the inspiration behind it, right? You don't have to like be inspired by something random. It can come, your inspiration can and and usually should come from your own lived experience and your own story. I've seen 15 page autobiographies. Mm -hmm. That's a lot different than the character allowances for a personal statement and the purpose of a personal statement. Yeah. And when I see something like that, <clears throat> excuse me, you, I mean, part of you wants to be like, oh my gosh, that's a lot to read. Mm-hmm. But the other part of me is like, if this person took the time to put so much into this, mm-hmm. there's going to be some great pieces of information. Yeah that we're going to need to find a place to wiggle into this application. And maybe it doesn't all come in the primary. I was about to say that (laughs) because, right, I, this is a commonly repeated phrase for both of us. Yeah. I'm sure is I want them to know this about you, but I don't think the personal or the primary application is the place to reveal this. Yes. Maybe this gets worked into a secondary. Correct. Maybe this is something that comes out in conversation in an mm-hmm. interview. Yep. Maybe you follow up with this in a gap year experience and mm-hmm. it comes out in an update letter. Who knows? There's a lot of different places for things to live. And what I think is particularly difficult is that there's no like hard rules on this. I will give like you one specific piece of information and advice and then the next person, and on the surface, it sounds like you're in the exact same situation. I'm going to give completely different advice to because there's something different happening behind the scenes, behind the scenes that changes and evolves how the best guidance for you looks. Because I see this, especially with personal statements for students that come in for help, like before a comprehensive review, I can have help a student make an objectively good personal statement. But you come in and you talk to me in an interview, in the, in the medium of the interview, and it completely changes how I interpret that personal statement. So he- heads up to anybody who, do- who does a comprehensive review with me. I end almost every single comprehensive review with the phrase, let's go back and look at your personal statement now that I know you a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Because it does not matter what I thought going in about that personal statement. What matters is after I've learned everything else that you want to tell me about yourself. Yeah. I could be a wildly different personal statement. Yeah. And both of them great, objectively. And sometimes I think, why did they include this in the personal statement? This makes no sense. And then I talk to them, I'm like, oh, 
this makes sense, just not the way that you perhaps presented it. Or maybe not here. Yeah. Again, there's no hard and fast rules for anything that we do. It's what makes our job really exciting to do. It's what makes our job objectively difficult to do because a lot of times the advice that other people who may have gone through the process will give you is how they have seen it done because they got in, right? That's wonderful. It's not wrong. It's, It's good advice, but that doesn't mean it's wonderful advice for you. Kimberly and I have worked with hundreds of students who have been successful. So we've seen hundreds of iterations of what makes a good, successful candidate. And it's so diverse and different, right? Some students are really successful using like an, an illustrative device in their uh, essay writing, right? They talk about, I had one student a couple years ago and they talked about running a marathon and the different parts of a marathon. And they talked about, and they related that to their own personal experience pursuing healthcare, right? That was great for that student. I have seen other students try and do that. And I'm like, this is just not working for you. It feels contrived. Yeah, when it's natural. But that student had been like a marathon runner for like eight years, right? That was a core part of who they were. It was something they knew inside and out. And they had already thought about how those things related together. It's not like I was I was like, you should connect your marathon running to your personal statement. They didn't create a structure purely of, for the purpose of their personal statement. Yeah. Yeah. It was more organic. And and sometimes a personal statement has is really missing that personal touch mm-hmm. and that personal kind of structure to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to the person, I'm learning more and more, and I'm like, have you ever considered using this mm-hmm. as the vehicle to tell what you're trying to communicate in your mm-hmm. personal statement? You don't need to change what you're saying in your personal statement, but we need to apply some sort of mm-hmm. structure to it. Yeah. And I think that this hobby or this quirk about your mm-hmm. learning or something like that mm-hmm. is the way that we tell this. Yeah. I think for most students, the students that I work with, I think most of them really succeed using a chronological order to their essay. But I can think of a handful of students last cycle that I was like, you cannot tell your story in chronological order. It doesn't, it's not the best way to present this. And we used a different construction to build it around. And the, I, my favorite time ever was a student was like, I'm really unhappy with my personal statement. I said, okay, let me take a look at it. I reorganized their paragraphs and I said, now read it. And they were like, well, this is great. And I'm like, you just weren't telling the story in the right order for what you wanted the takeaway to be. That's how a lot of good writing happens. I mean, yep. my master's thesis came together by cutting apart all of the paragraphs, spreading them out across my living room Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what was the structure necessary to tell the story that I was trying to tell. Yeah. So there's no fast forward button here, but schools look really closely at the personal statement regardless. You know, thinking about how Pitt's PA program approaches their admissions, the personal statement score is weighted just as heavily as your academic performance. What you say about yourself, how you tell your story, how you communicate the challenges that you've overcome on your pathway to pursuing a career as a physician assistant is just as important as getting really great grades for them. So I'm going to pivot a little bit because I'm sitting here thinking about all the people who are thinking, I'm not a good enough writer to do this. Mm -hmm. I can tell my story fine, but what John and Kimberly are talking about is something like in a different league. It it, it does not have to be perfect and beautiful. No. It has to work. It has to flow. It has to communicate the right details and the right nuance. Mm -hmm. But they're... You're human. Mm -hmm. You're not going into a writing program. No. And this is not the only space that you get Mm -hmm. to write and talk about your experiences. Mm -hmm. Some people are much more comfortable in the work and activities or the experiences section. Yeah. Because the way they can sort of break it up and focus on one thing at a time fits the way their mind works a little bit better. And schools don't expect you to be 
Tennessee Williams. You're not expected to be the next great American novelist. It's okay to be really direct and just detailed, but it's doing it in a really strategic way. Our goal is to help you learn the strategy necessary to approach this, because this isn't the last time that you're going to have to write a personal narrative. When you go and apply for residency or specialty training, this is something you're going to have to do again. And my goal, and I'm sure you have the same goal, is I'm trying to teach you base skills that you're going to use over and over again. How to talk about yourself in a way that's meaningful for the person for whom you are sending this to. Usually it's getting your writing to match your own way of thinking and speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When your writing sounds like the way that you think and you communicate, yeah. then it's going to flow in the way that you need yeah. it to flow because you can't describe yourself as anything other than yourself because eventually that disconnect is yeah. going to break down. It's just all going to break down. Yeah. I've had lovely applicants who are wonderful who are just a bit more on the serious side. And those are, they're going to make wonderful healthcare providers. But when I read their personal statement, I'm like, what is this like odd, overly like floor, I call like overcomplicated writing floral writing, because I just feel like you've just planted flowers in front of something that doesn't need it. It's got swirls and fluffy and... And I'm like, that's not who you are. And it's incongruous with the rest of what your application looks like. So schools aren't just reading it to be like, does this person sound cool? It's like, does this person sound like the rest of their application? Does this person sound like someone that has really thought and considered what's next? And so, yeah, it's tons of power for that holistic review process. Another really great part of the application is something that often is treated like a checkbox, which is your letters of evaluation. And for me, when I'm talking to students, especially my students who've been out for a little bit, they're like, hey, how do I like connect with the professor? Like they don't really super remember me. And I'm like, this is actually kind of a wonderful opportunity for you when you reach out to talk about this was my experience that I had in your class. This is why I'm specifically asking you for a letter. One, you've sort of guided the direction of that letter a little bit. And two, you've made it a lot easier for that writer to say yes. If I'm looking at it as a personal statement and like your resume, my letter is going to look disturbingly similar to the next letter writer that you have. Because at least half of my letter is just going to be like pulling information out of the same materials that everybody's getting from you. But if you talk, if you let them speak to an experience that you've had, a project that you did, there's a lot more of your story that can come out. And if you think about it in the right way and you're proactive enough, you can speak to them about, this is how I had a challenge that you probably didn't even know about. And this is how I overcame it. And this is why my experience as a person with this identity or with this lived experience has made your perspective even more necessary in my total application package. I can think back to moments that made me interested in some of my professors on another level than I was interested in other professors. Hmm. Some of them were just professors. I learned from them, went to class, did fine. Mm -hmm. And then others, there would be something that they said that I kind of latched on to. Maybe it was about their personal history or how they got involved in that subject that they taught. And suddenly I'm invested in a way that I wasn't before. It doesn't result in a different grade necessarily, but it results in sort of an impact on your thinking and your trajectory sometimes. And when a professor knows that yeah it kind of because it you know that what you latched onto is probably meaningful to them in some way yeah and then there's that connection that you have mm-hmm. that goes far beyond just the content of the course yeah. and what you would gain for that in terms of yeah. mcat prep or yeah DHT. because the other flip side of this which is i really like this example is that you are mirroring through this letter of recommendation what they hope you do as a future care provider, which is your ability to connect with something meaningful with another person. 
And that professor is not telling that story intentionally. It's just because you brought it up and you're like, this is what and they can speak to. This is why you connected. It's demonstrating so clearly to that future admissions committee that this person can connect on some meaningful level with other people, even when on the surface that relationship appears to be quite transactional, right? Because many care appointments do feel quite transactional. That's sort of their purpose, right? I'm, I'm coming to you for something. You give me something. I go. Coming from an advisor in the midst of scheduling season. Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. A scheduling appointment isn't always as fulfilling as an appointment where we start brainstorming mm-hmm. why you want to apply yeah, or what you're going to do in a gap year. Yeah. It just... It, it doesn't, it, it's much more of a transaction as opposed to a connection. Does it feel great to have student after student walk out knowing exactly what they're going to enroll in for next semester and know that they're making great progress? Yeah. Absolutely. But it's not the same emotional connection that you get. No. no. All right. So let's t- talk a little bit about test scores now. Now, on the surface, it's like, well, they're going to look at it and they're going to move on. But that's not the whole story, and this is another place where holistic review will come in. Let's say that you perhaps struggled in your first year, and your first year of college was really difficult because you were academically underprepared from the school that you came to, but you made huge progress over time, but your GPA on its surface doesn't perhaps look as you know, competitive as some of your peers. But looking at that score... And if it's a competitive score in particular, it's a great way to establish that, like, that's where that student may have started, but this is where they finished. And this is who they are today, and this is their capability now. And not everybody's test-taking or academic ability is going to show itself in the same way. Yeah. Um, We have really good test-takers out there, Mm -hmm. and then we have people who are fine. Yep. They just don't excel there, but they get through it. Yeah. And then we have people whose score could be absolutely anywhere. And you don't even think about it because mm-hmm. it's fine. Yeah. Is it going to be the highest score that they're looking at that season? No. Is it the lowest? Probably not either. But then you don't even care because you look at everything else that's on the application. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. I like blow students' minds when I talk about my student who got a really great interview at Pitt and got a scholarship there who had a 506 on their MCAT. All you need to do. The average is a 518. You just have, they just have to know that you can do it. Yeah. You don't need to be the top of the class. Yes. You're going to be the top in another way when you're that person. Yes, exactly. And they did have the right stuff to make it there. They had that great synergy with that program. And so I often will think of test scores and I, I try to get students to disentangle it with school list, but I do think to a certain extent that that it does matter when you're establishing that school list in that, like, no, you shouldn't apply to, like, all of the Ivies because you're super passionate about research if you don't have, like, super competitive metrics. Because, unfortunately, they do less of – they do holistic review, but because the, the number of applicants with those astronomically high scores are all there that have really great experiences and are able to articulate that really well, too – they're just not going to perhaps prioritize someone. So there is a bit of a match that needs to happen, but there's a lot of wiggle room too. I think we need to emphasize that match. Yeah. Because I don't want anyone listening to think that, oh, I got a 505. As long as I'm really into this goal of mine and passionate about it, it's going to work out. That exception to the score that's typical at that institution is going to work every once in a while. Yeah. That might get you. Yeah. It's, it's the exception. It's not the rule. I mean, that student, they didn't get like a widespread applicate. Like they didn't have interviews everywhere. They just, they were really, they were able to speak to that fit so darn well. Right. And we know that schools will have like minimum scores. They're never going to tell us them. 
They're never going to tell you them, listeners. But we know that they exist. We have a general sense of where most of them sort of live. And so, like, yeah, we want to make sure that they'll actually consider you. I don't want you to pay for a bunch of applications and go Mm -hmm. through the emotional turmoil of waiting to hear back from all Mm -hmm. of these schools when I know that Mm -hmm. it's not likely to result in an interview or an acceptance. Correct. But I also Mm -hmm. know when I'm looking at a possible exception. Yeah. And there I will encourage you. Yep. A lot of my possible exceptions have transitioned into like, you're like, I never thought I would get an interview here. And I'm like, I did. That's why I told you to keep them on your list. (laughs) Because we know where those, where the flexibility points in a student can occur. And so that's where that holistic review comes in there. Um, Our next sort of like section, and we've touched on it a couple times, is the experiences and achievements section. I'm going to try and make this as brief as possible because I think that students can approach the section in a multitude of ways. And so I don't want to like muddy the water too much, but be thinking really more less about what it is that you did and why it matters for your application and how it tells your story. That why and that how is going to be far more impactful than the what. When I a good example of this is I'll see students who put like dean's list on their application in their work and activities or their achievement section depending on what type of application they're submitting. And they don't describe it, they just list it. And for some students when I'm like, "Well, tell me what that meant to you." And they're like, "Well, it was an achievement." And I wanted them to know that. And I'm like, well, they're going to see that on your transcript. So what value, additional value is it playing, being listed in your application versus a student who said, I really struggled my first year and getting that first dean's list and continuing to do that semester after semester was a real accomplishment for me because I had to overcome this. I was I have a student that is so proud of getting on the dean's list because she's like, I'm working full time. Because that's what I have to do to be able to afford this. And achieving that with that other thing in place is so meaningful. And so her her mini essay talking about Dean's List is so powerful because it lets me, the reader, in on why it was so important for her to include. If you're going to describe the what... Mm-hmm. It needs to be because it's something different mm-hmm. than what they would assume. Yeah. Like a comparing, con- like thinking about who a lot of your other applicants might look like, right? Being an LA or a TA at Penn State is a wildly different experience than being an LA or a TA at a Juniata college. Not to disparage Juniata because the expect- the experience there as an LA TA is completely different The relationship building is different. The experience is different. But speak to the truth of your experience and what makes it unique. The volume at Penn State is wild. Don't tell them what they already know. Tell them the uniqueness of the experience for you. Yeah. And why that mattered to you. Yeah. That's the only time I want to see an actual what. Yep. Like a description of what you did. Yep. If they can look at that description of, if they can look at the name of the activity mm-hmm. and know right away exactly what you did, mm-hmm. then you don't need to tell them. Exactly. Don't tell them what they already know. Tell yeah. them something they don't know. Exactly. Why? And especially for me, why you are including it in your application. Students want to fill up all 15 sections, oh. but they can't always tell me why they're including it. They're like, but I have this other section. And I'm like, eliminate it. I, whenever someone comes to me and says, but I don't have 15 yet. I'm like, what makes you think that you have to have 15? You're diluting the power of everything else that's in there because it's making you look like you've you're pushing fluff into your application. And so it makes them look at all of your other experiences with a different viewpoint. And also all of that fluff usually occurs at the end of your list. Nobody is ever listing the fluff first. Like nobody cares if you do like a quadruple back flip, if you land in a foam pit. 
Do you know what I mean? Well, like, if you're a gymnast, like, it's cool that you can do that. But, like, gymnasts can do that. Sometimes I say, like, let's pause and look at the hobbies that you listed. Yeah. You know, are these things that you actually sit down and have a conversation about? Mm-hmm. Do you have, a, like, a product that came out of this? Is mm-hmm. this something that you would go to great lengths to rearrange your schedule so that you would have mm-hmm. a chunk of time every week to commit to this? Yeah. Or are you doing it because you remember me telling you at some point that you're allowed to put a hobby here? Yep. That's very different. Yeah. It's that why is so 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 important and that's what makes it part of holistic review is how does this help me understand you better how does this help me understand your background your progress your distance traveled there's power in that the last piece and again i'm not going to spend too too much time on this because there's a billion and one different ways to do this right which is your supplemental essays um, secondary essays, secondary applications. It'll vary what's used depending on which application service you're using. And they come in at using. different points. Yeah. You have, this is where you connect yourself specifically to the school. It's your only chance to speak directly to the school because everything else goes to everybody. It's Yes, it has to be broadly applicable, right? If you think about, um, like, a f- food trucks have a couple of items, because they have to be able to serve anybody that walks up to that truck versus a cheesecake factory, which has 250 different items on the menu. You have to be able to do some a few things simply that are broadly delicious and applicable to everybody because you do not have the space and time to do 250 meals, 250 different items. And this is also why when we're talking about school lists, we talk about being very intentional about a school list Mm -hmm. because it's very hard to write a nuanced, personalized essay for 20 schools. Yeah. You are, it's going to be a handful of schools where you can really write the type of essays that they're Mm -hmm. looking for that really shows, you know, about this institution, Mm -hmm. you are certain that this is where the next stage of your life could really just take yeah. off and you would grow so very much. You'd be yeah. a active, wonderful participant to some of the things that they've listed as their values or, yeah. or you know, patient populations or, yeah. or the experiences that they have available for you, the research that's being done, the focus of the institution. Some institutions are really community focused. Some other are really patient-centered. Some of them are really research-focused. Some will do a bit of a mix. Some are really focused on preparing students to understand the systems at play in the healthcare field because you have to play within those systems, and it does change the best type of care that you can provide a patient depending on this part of the system that they have to interact with. I think it's very hard to fake a supplemental essay. Mm-hmm. Because there's going to be that person who's writing, whose entire preparation and passion in life is this topic. And you trying to fake it in these essays is going to be really apparent. And I think this is where I see people start to burn out the most. Yes. Yes. A lot of students almost self-eliminate because they just at a certain point you burn your candle right out you can't summon the same level of enthusiasm for 20 schools it just doesn't usually work (laughs) yeah i mean like if you look at the like the law of diminishing returns in economics is basically like at a certain point it doesn't matter how much more effort you get the results are going to be about the same you need to know where your law of diminishing returns exists. And for most students, it's just, that's just too many schools. And you've already spent the money, so you're going to continue to work for it, toward it, but the quality is never the same. And then you don't get the same return. Yeah. Your return is so much less because they see that it's not super personalized. If they get a generic, if you are like, oh, great, these 10 schools all ask the same question. I'm going to send out the same response to all of them. 
they see that. They read that. They see when it's been eight weeks since they sent you that question. That too. If you were excited about it, you would have hopped to it so fast. Yep. Because you're enthusiastic. You're just really into it. You're excited. You can't help but show your excitement. You want to continue the conversation. You've showed that you deprioritized them. Yeah. By waiting that long. Yeah. Right, and that's folks. okay. That's okay. This it's is okay. what you all did remember. That is okay. But hopefully you learn that before you apply. That's why we talk about school lists is so that it's really, it's really the right schools for you mm-hmm. so that you haven't put in the F, the monetary output yeah. really and truly to send a primary to a school that you know that you're not going to be able to do justice to their supplemental essays. And, and then when you get to the secondaries, you're really excited for everything that you're writing. And it flows. And hopefully you've done the right preparation that it's a, it's a much quicker process. So this will also extend to interviews, but I don't think we have enough time for that today. <laughs> but just know that there is in every step of the process, there is the opportunity for you to be able to show the nuance of what makes you a powerful, wonderful applicant. Take advantage of these opportunities. As advisors, we want to help you learn how to navigate those waters. So please, please, please work with your pre-health advisors. Like this is like what we love doing. So little is more enjoyable to us than helping a student get excited about what they're putting into their application and what the results are in the future. There's always a turn in working with a student between them seeing me as like, yes, I'm an expert, that there's always this turn of them being like, oh, they like get me. And I'm tr- they're trying to help me specifically. Because that's like my, my goal is to help you see that like, yes, I'm very knowledgeable broadly, but I can also figure out how to like make this fit just for you. We have to treat all of you as if you're supplemental essays. <laughs> yes. You're our opportunity to sit down and make sure that our advising is going to be personalized and nuanced to your needs. Oh, what a good analogy. I, I got to match you with the analogies occasionally, John. I, well, you know, <laughs> analogies are my strength and they're not everybody's, but that's okay. All right, folks, thank you so much for tuning in this week for another episode of the Pre-Health Podcast at Penn State. We'll see you next week. The Pre-Health Podcast at at Penn State is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office and the Everly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across the university system. Our intro and outro music are both by Coma Media.